All right, so we got a lot going on this week, huh? Nobody's worried about anything, right? Good. Because this is, this is the, my opening statement. <laughs> it's going to be a little weird, but my opening statement is this. I believe with every part of me that God wants to use a lot of you to a much greater degree than you're currently being used. So that's kind of the launching point for the service today. The funny part is, some of you have never considered that God wants to use you. And some of you just don't believe it. And today, as we look at the Word, I think we'll see both. One, one way that God is currently using folks here at Uniontown, and, and ladies, I'm going to ask you, you can, you can kind of come on up, your Keddie's house, ladies. Um, we had a, uh, oh, you're right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We currently have a trip in Arizona, a group of men who are serving, and they're doing those missions trips, and it's awesome. And uh, yeah, if any, any of the Katie's House ladies want to come up, you can come up and support these two, You because they may need it, because I'm going to run away. <laughs> um, the other way that they've been used is this group, and some of them are here, and some of them will be in second service, some of them, some of them won't even come up, and that's okay. You can just look at them and glare at them if you like. These just returned from a trip to the Dominican Republic to serve at Ketty's house. So I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you and hand you one of these. Have fun. They're just gonna share a little bit about what happened. So go for it. Come on over, ladies. So I'm Amanda Bunton. Um, this is Holly Clevenger. Um, we have Lisa Rudder, Megan Bowen, and Beth Bry. Um, so how do you sum up an amazing God-filled week in just five minutes? Um, you don't, but we have the microphone, so. <laughs> um, I joke, but um, we are truly humbled and honored um, by the opportunity to live out what Scripture says and speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Who knew that this would apply to a house full of teenage girls? Um, that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. They talk a lot, but are silent when it comes to themselves and their needs and their needs are great. We will get back to this and how you can continue to help after Holly shares a bit about what our six-day trip consisted of. Good morning. Let me start by saying that these kids are amazing. They were able to experience our summer-themed VBS in one morning, learn it in an afternoon, and then turn around and teach it the very next day to over 180 children. Yeah, praise God, right? <laughs> it was amazing. Um, in addition to the hard work of teaching, they walked miles to deliver heavy meal bags to 40 families in that community of San Miguel. These opportunities in San Miguel enabled us to model to the children how to be servants. Amidst the heat and various other factors, our team was able to complete a large painting project and mural in the courtyard of their house. The kids were excited to see the end result upon their arrival home from school. So how can you be helping and praying as the sole supporting church of Ketty's house? The girls are very much like American teenagers, so we can add kindness and respect of each other and house leaders to our prayer list. They also do need stronger and more reliable staff in their house. The work is hard and the pay is minimal. Our hope is that we can have members not only sponsor the children,
but also the, the house as a whole to meet those needs. These children have experienced lifetimes of hurt and pain. They have carried burdens far greater than many care to imagine. This is why they need your prayers, your sponsorships, and your letters. They long to know that someone is in their corner. When your life has been etched with pain and abandonment, you need a constant. And we and the leaders of the house constantly point them to Jesus. But this is the opportunity to be Jesus with skin on, to literally be his hands and feet. And excuse that, that cliche, but I mean it in the most real and literal sense. You can do this with your prayers, your letters, and your monthly sponsorships by sending supplies with our teams, by sending teams. And we are just so thankful that you guys sent us once again um, to touch, to hold, to hug, to smile, and to look into the eyes of these sweet, sweet orphans and to tell them their worth in Jesus' eyes and their place in our hearts here at UBC. But our app update doesn't end here. We have so much more to share and tell, including many photos. Please be on the lookout in your bulletins for an evening or afternoon with the Keddies House team. We look forward to the opportunity to share more in-depth needs and opportunities with you all. That wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to make one, one observational comment. I think it's funny because you had the girls lined up in perfect line like this. When the Arizona trip comes back with the men, let's just compare, okay? <laughs> See how that goes. We need to be continuing to pray for Keddie's house, for the, the young girls at Keddie's house, the leaders at Keddie's house. And, and let, me, let me be uh, honest, because I lie a lot. I don't know why I say that all the time. We need to be praying for these ladies who are just returning from the trip. It's a very emotional thing to be involved in, a, in an event like that, um, in a trip like that, and then have to leave. You see the need and you see, you build relationships, that's the point. And so there's, there's a certain tugging on the heart, so we need to remember them in prayer. So let me pray right now. Father God, please be with, be with our, our team as they return. Thanks so much for the way you use them. Thanks for giving them such strength and courage Thanks for them being willing to go. Thanks, Father, that they were able to be used by you while they were there. And now as they, as they return and as they get back into normal life and, and, and kind of experience some of the emotion that comes with the trip, Lord, would you give them grace? Would you give them strength? Father, I pray that this team would continue to communicate in such a way that they're encouraged to continue to serve and follow you here back at home. We love you, and thanks for Christ. In his name I pray, amen. So again, to kind of give it again, I believe with all my heart that God wants to lose a lot, use a lot of you to a much greater degree than you're currently being used. Um, we, we tend to fall for the lie sometimes that when it comes to the gospel, and you've heard a lot about the gospel in the last few weeks and our responsibility to run off the hill and to, to share that gospel with people. I think sometimes when we think about the sharing of the gospel, we, we kind of think that's for the special force Christians, right? The, the Green Beret believers, the the professional PhDs who run out, they know how to do that, and so we're gonna, we're gonna throw some money in the offering plate and they'll accomplish what it is. But, but when you read through the New Testament, what you find time and time again is that every believer is called to go on mission, not for God, but to go on mission with God. 
And so that's what it is that Acts has been driving home, that, that God continues to use, I'll call them ordinary people, in lack of a better term, but God continues to use ordinary people to carry the gospel to those who need it. Just in case you're a note taker and you're afraid you're going to miss the big what if this week, I'm going to unveil it right now in all of its glory. So let's throw the what if up there so that way everybody can read it together. So what, you don't have to read it out loud, I promise. Go for it. Dan, hit it. Hey, all right, good. So could you tell I don't have it written in my notes? I just check. Okay, what if we were willing to daily tell the Holy Spirit that we were ready to be used? What if you and I were willing to daily tell the Holy Spirit that we're ready to be used? What does that look like? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 8 because that's the story of Acts chapter 8. So I'll start reading in verse 1. It says this, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. So Stephen had just been murdered. He had just been killed and Saul approved of it. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. Now devout Men, godly men, buried Stephen, and they made mourning over him and great lamentation over him. But Saul, he was ravaging the church, and he was entering house after house, and he was dragging off men and women, and he was committing them to prison. So, so setting the context of, of chapter 8 is this great persecution. Persecution is not being made fun of for your faith. Persecution isn't people trying to avoid you in the break room because you carry your Bible. Okay. Persecution is being chased, pursued. And, and the way it's described here, it's a great persecution. You go back to Acts chapter 4, you see that the apostles were being persecuted, but now it's, it's no longer just the apostles. Now it's the, the entire church is being persecuted. So today is a day uh, among evangelical churches that's set aside for two different things. One, it's Orphan Sunday, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the service. But today is also recognized as the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted churches. See, in this text we see the church is persecuted and chased and harassed. Well, that's happening today. Maybe not in America, but around the world there are millions of people who can't come and worship freely. There are millions of people who are chased, who are pursued, who have their phones tapped, who have um, um, receivers uh, constructed and put right outside their window. One of our friends who is serving in a closed country, they were having a Bible study in their apartment for about a month, and then one morning he walked to the window and opened the curtain, and there it was, this microphone right outside his window. See, that, that's, that's not uncommon for millions of believers. There are millions of believer, believers who, who will gather even though it could mean their life. And yet, we skip because it might rain. Or if there's a game on television. There are millions of believers who speak up where they are even though it could mean imprisonment, and yet we stay quiet for fear of just a little bit of mocking. This persecution is real, it happens today, and it happens around the world. This persecution was real here in the church, and as a result of the great persecution, it says in verse 1 that they were scattered, the church scattered. It's interesting, that is a borrowed word from the agricultural society at the time. The idea of being scattered is that idea of the farmer taking a handful of seed and just chucking it out there. 
The picture of the church was they were under such great persecution that they were just kind of scattered out. They just went every which direction to escape the persecution. And what was the result of them trying to escape the persecution? Look at verse 4. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't run into safe houses. (laughs) They went about to preach the word. And picture, picture these people getting ready to, to run for their lives. And they're, they're, they're kind of grasping what few possessions they can take with them when the persecution breaks out. They're, they're praying for courage and they're praying for a, a faithful witness and, and, and praying that they would be bold to stand for their Savior and to proclaim his message effectively wherever they go. And then they did it. That seed that was scattered took root, and it began to grow. So God, God used this group of people in a way that they probably never expected, and I believe that God wants to use you a lot, and a lot more of you, in further ways than what you're being used right now. Here's the church, wherever they are, preaching the word as they go, no matter why they are there. So difficulty for us may not look like the authorities busting in the door and chasing us out of the building. Difficulty may look like loss or sickness. But, but the, the, the principle, the application that can be made from how this church responded to a great time of difficulty is this. Wherever you are, be there. Be present. Be exactly where you are because that's where God wants you. Don't overlook the opportunity to shine the light in the darkness that you find yourself in, in that moment. And then that moment, wherever you are, that's particular to you. That's specific to you. Nobody else has that same opportunity, right? I I don't work where you work, so I can't reach the same people that you can. I don't live in Westminster, I live in Tawnytown. I'm not going to do a very effective job at, at ministering to the people who live in Westminster unless I cross paths with them someplace else. You live in your neighborhood. man. Be, be there. That's where God has you. What if you were willing to daily tell the Holy Spirit, where I am right now, that's where I'm ready to be used? What if that was you? Make yourself available to the Holy Spirit every place you go for whatever reason you end up there. So here you go, look at, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says, this Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. He, unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them and, and many who were paralyzed or lame there were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So Philip goes down to Samaria, of all places. Now, some of you may not be familiar with this. You do understand that Samaritans, Hebrews, not exactly best buds. In fact, you would never even think of walking through Samaria at this time. You would have to find a way to walk around it, even if the most direct route was to walk through it. But no, you would walk around it. But here's Philip in Samaria preaching the gospel, and people listen, obey and, and, and then there's such great joy in their hearts. So what was he preaching? Verse 12, skip down to verse 12. I'm just going to hit this real quick. It says that he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. What he did was he, he preached what the Jerusalem apostles had been preaching, that Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified, was raised from the dead. 
And now he is exalted at the right hand of God and that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the promised Savior and Messiah that the Old Testament had talked about for all those years. And for those who would repent and put their faith and trust in him, they would have eternal life. Philip's message is our message. It's all about Jesus. So what's the result? Great joy, amazing responses. This is amazing. Um, okay, time-wise. All right. I'm gonna, my intent is to skip over most of 9 through 24 just for time. It's also kind of a crazy story. But I think there's some application that we can make to our immediate situation as long as I do it quick. So I hope you're ready. Because I'm not talking fast enough yet. <laughs> it's amazing I haven't like, blown these things off the stage yet. Um, so, this guy named Simon is a magician. And he's in Samaria and he's hearing the message that Philip is preaching. I'm giving you the synopsis of these verses. Probably quicker to read it, but that's okay. He's listening to the message being preached by Philip. All these people accept Christ. Philip accepts, or uh, not Philip, uh, Simon accepts Christ. And it's this amazing thing. I mean, this magician had great power and authority, and people looked at him with great awe because he was a magician. This guy, whether it be sorcery or whatever it be, we don't know. It's just he had clout in the community, right? Philip comes in, preaches the gospel, and now everybody's attention falls off of him, Simon the magician, and now it's on Philip and the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. The apostles visit from Jerusalem to see what in the world's going on in Samaria because nothing good can happen in Samaria. Kind of like, I won't name any towns. I'll keep moving. Um, I'll keep you with me. So when they're there, they realize, no, this is really happening. Jesus Christ is being received here. They're laying their hands on people. The Holy Spirit is coming into these people. Simon sees the apostles coming and laying their hands on people. And this Holy Spirit coming, and he's like, whoa, sweet. I want me some of that. How much is it going to cost me for you to give me the ability to walk up to Billy and be like, bam, and give him the Holy Spirit? And, and, and the apostles rebuke him. Peter says in verse 20, may your money perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You don't have part or lot in this matter. Your heart's not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter pulls no punches. He's like, bro, put your money away. You're going to die. I hope you receive all of this in you and that you finally realize how wicked you are and that you repent for trying to purchase something that can't be purchased. When we go to the polls on Tuesday, oh, politics. May we not go with sound bites ringing in our ears. May we not go and vote because somebody on a certain news station told us that's the way we should vote. May we not go and vote with our wallet or our purse. Many who are in races today for political position have tried to do exactly what Simon the Magician did. If we buddy up real close to the evangelical believers, that'll get us their vote, while not having any relationship with the God of the evangelical believers. We are not, on Tuesday, going to the poll 
to elect a savior. That job's taken. He's never leaving office. Okay? We're going to be okay. (laughs) 2016's been nuts. But even that can't confuse God. Even that hasn't pushed him off the throne. Regardless of the outcome of Tuesday, and i got to be completely honest with you and stand here with transparency, if anybody was to stand before you from a, a spiritual position and tell you who to vote for, they should be ashamed of themselves. Okay? I don't have a clue what would be worse for our country at this point. But nothing will set back the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing will close the doors of his church moving forward. I should run. (laughs) By run, I mean run far, far away. Um, The church is going to go on. The gates of hell can't stand against it. Forget an election. And that has nothing to do with you or I. And let's be clear, that doesn't mean the church in America will remain strong and free forever. That's not what the promise of the gospel is. The promise of the gospel is that the message of Jesus Christ and his universal body of believers will never be overthrown because Jesus is on the throne. Um, I do need to pray. A lot, but I need to pray particularly right now. And, and, and I want you to understand this. Though we should pray for the outcome of the election, our greater prayer should be this, that they come to know and to love the Jesus who they're trying to buddy up to for political favors. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if tomorrow morning anybody who's running for office, I don't care who it is, comes out and be like, listen, I don't stand on that platform anymore. I stand on Christ. So do whatever you want. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, but many of us are like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Why not? What if we prayed like we believed God heard our prayers? Lord Jesus, I ask in this moment right now that you would arrest the hearts of those who are running for office, and I don't care what office it is, all of them. I pray in this moment you would save our President Barack Obama. I pray that you would save our Vice President Joe Biden. I pray that you would redeem the hearts of the Supreme Court justices. I pray, Father, that you would do something so incredibly overwhelming that we would not be able to overlook it. God, I pray, I I know you can do this because we we, we read your word, we see how you've done things that that dwarf this. So we know you can do it, we've heard about it, but God, like, like, like Habakkuk, I want to see it. I want to see it in my day. Lord, would you do a work in the hearts of these men and women and save them from their sin? Lord, would you develop a heart of love and compassion in our own hearts so that we would regularly pray for them as you would have us? I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the solid rock that he provides for us to stand on. I thank you that in Christ... We know our future. May we find rest and comfort in that today. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. (laughs) That was free and not short. Um, Here we go. You ready? Verse 25. Philip 
heads back to Jerusalem. That's the hot spot. The gospel's spreading. Crazy things are happening. There's, there's persecution, but there's active ministry happening in Jerusalem. So Philip heads back there. And you know what God does? Because God's in the business of not letting us sit where we think we should sit sometimes. God calls Philip away. Not for Philip's sake, but for the sake of another who we'll see in just a minute. So, so in verse 26, let's read there in chapter 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a, a desert place. He rose and he went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet of Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Just a couple of things for you. Gaza. Gaza was this little nasty out-of-the-way town. Nobody went to Gaza. Okay? You had to get through Gaza to get somewhere. There's no Hilton, no Olive Garden, nothing good in Gaza. Okay? Nobody lived in Gaza. You had to get through Gaza. It's way out of the way and way out of the comfort zone for your average Hebrew. It's very inconvenient to get there. 165 miles to walk. Some of us have gone on mission trips before. This is the first mission trip, by the way. Some of us have gone on mission trips before. It's like, man, I had to fly for 14 hours, had a three-hour layover. And then, no, you're going to get to heaven and Phil's going to be like, seriously, 14 hours? I walked 165 miles. <gasps> Stop talking. <laughs> so here he is in, in Gaza, and here's this Ethiopian. So let me touch a little bit on Ethiopia, because it's different than the Ethiopia we have in our mind today. In the Old Testament, Ethiopia is called Cush. Um, today, Ethiopia is a, a, kind of a small country. In this time, Ethiopia was basically everything in Africa south of the Nile River. It was huge. It was enormous. It was, it was covering this whole thing. And then you, you have this guy that he runs into on his way to Gaza. He is the treasurer of the entire region. He is one powerful dude. He's the financial minister. He was <clears throat> a eunuch. It means he's been castrated. Um, Long and short, why would they do that? If you're working in the palace with the queen, they want to make sure you didn't get any ideas. If you have any other questions about being a eunuch, Pastor Mark, stand in the back, you can ask him. <laughs> He's the open for a discussion, he'll explain it all to you, don't worry. I'm a, just don't talk to me about it. <laughs> Sorry, man, you're standing right there. I could not do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay for that one later. That's all right, moving on. <laughs> um, Talks about the queen, Candace. Now, Candace wasn't her name. little history lesson for you. In this time in Ethiopia, uh, it was similar to Egypt. They had a pharaoh. In this time in Ethiopia, they had a king. He was just kind of a figurehead. They, they thought he was a god. So he was just ceremonial. They set him on the side and just kind of worship him. But the queen, the administrative ruler of the kingdom, the one who had all the power, was the queen mother. And they referred to her, instead of as a pharaoh, they had referred to her as the Candace. So here is this guy who serves the queen of one of the biggest areas in the known world. He is the financial administrator. And what is he doing? He had come to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, for whatever reason, this guy was curious about God. I mean, they, they, they had plenty of gods, small g, in Ethiopia. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped the animals. And, and we don't know. Maybe, maybe this guy had the sense that there's more to life than that. Maybe this guy had, had the idea that, you know, the sun and the animals are wonderful things, but they're not the source. They can't be the source of everything. There's something bigger. There's something greater. And so he's come to Jerusalem to worship. Interesting thing, as a eunuch, because of the physical blemish that he has taken upon his body, 
he would never be allowed to enter the temple. But he was going to go hang out around the temple so he could figure out what was going on. Because he was there to worship. And I love this part, verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The Spirit said. So let me ask you this question. Do you know and walk with the Holy Spirit like that? Are you aware of him speaking to you? Um, how does the Holy Spirit speak to you? So, well, sometimes he speaks to you through a word, through somebody else in the church. Sometimes he speaks to you in, in situations that he has placed you in and makes it keenly obvious, or you become keenly aware of the fact that you must serve there. And sometimes the Spirit may speak to you simply with a divine yearning that God and only God could possibly have put into your heart. But my question is, are you aware of where the Holy Spirit's speaking to you? When's the last time you had a sense that he's sending you to a place or he's calling you to do something or he's putting something into your heart to say to other people? Maybe the best way to ask this question is this. Are you even listening? Are you even trying? So, guilty. So busy about so many things. And yet the Spirit's like, hey, 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 hey. And what we can do is we can, in, in our, oh, I'm dancing now, in our piety, in our attempt to be obedient believers in Jesus Christ, we run right past the ones that the Spirit wants us to speak to. And unfortunately, most times, the ones that the Spirit wants us to speak to share our last name. But we're running someplace else. What if you were willing to daily tell the Holy Spirit, I'm ready to be used wherever I am? Here's an amazing part. So, so Philip listens to the Spirit. He runs over to the chariot, verse 30, and he overhears him reading Isaiah the prophet saying, and he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the Ethiopian says, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I mean, this is awesome. So Philip obeys the Holy Spirit. He runs to the chariot and he's just tossed two softballs. First of all, um, reading, reading to yourself is a modern convention. That's not, that's not something that happened in antiquity. In antiquity, if words were in front of you, you read them out loud. So it's not a weird thing. For us, it would be weird if I ran by your car and you were like, <laughs> like a sheep, he was let. That'd be a little strange. But for them, normal, right? The two softballs are, he runs up and he hears Isaiah and he's like, wait, 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 okay, hey, do you have any clue what you're reading? And the guy's like, I wouldn't know unless somebody, anybody, oh, anybody would tell me what it means. Softball number one. Softball number two. Sir, why don't you jump up here in the chariot with me and tell me what it means? I mean, that, that's as easy as it gets, but it gets even better. Because what he's reading, verse 32, we're told is this, out of Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about another? Third softball. Philip then, verse 35, opens his mouth, beginning with that scripture, 
told him the good news about Jesus. What he does is he dives into the prophecy that he had just read in Isaiah, and he says, listen, Isaiah had prophesied the Messiah was going to be like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He was going to be wrongfully accused of crimes he never committed, but he wouldn't open his mouth to defend himself. Philip easily takes the prophecy of Isaiah and says, hey, 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 that happened. Let me tell you who it was. It was this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth stood before Pilate and was accused of the most heinous of crimes. And even though he hadn't done any of them, he sat there silent. Why? Why would Jesus stay silent when being accused? In a court of law, when you're being accused and you make no response, what you are doing is conceding guilt. Jesus was conceding guilt, but not his own. Because Jesus is the one person who lived a perfect life and he had no guilt. Jesus stood silent before his accusers because he was consenting to my guilt. He'd be wounded for my transgressions. He would be bruised for my iniquities. The stripes on his back were a punishment for my sin. And Philip walks through the gospel message and points to Jesus and says, look, all of Scripture, all of this this Old Testament, all of what you've been learning as you go to the temple and try to absorb it all, all of it is fulfilled in this man, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, who was raised from the dead, who is now ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is forever alive and overseeing us. And we see the response of the Ethiopian in verse 36. As they're going along the road, they come to some water, and the eunuch's like, wait, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Man, you love that enthusiasm, don't you? And so he commanded his chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So, so when, when Philip has baptized the, the, the Ethiopian, they come up out of the water, and the Ethiopian's like, yay! And Philip's gone. Where did he go? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It sure seems the wording here is the Spirit literally carried him away. So... <laughs> Imagine being Philip in that moment. There's a question I have for Philip. What was that like? I baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what that looks like. But you know what I see again? For the second time, you see somebody who has had a face-to-face interaction and, and, and repented of their sins. And immediately, you know what the response is? Joy. The Ethiopian's response was joy. So let me ask you this. How many of you are sitting there like, man, how come that stuff never happens to me? How come I never walk up to somebody's car window and they have the window down and they're like, oh, sir, please tell me how I can be saved? How come that never happens to me? Would you tell the Holy Spirit that you're ready to be used wherever and whenever he leads? Would you be willing to tell the Holy Spirit that, that I'm ready to be used even if that means great difficulty like this. 
Would you be willing to tell the Holy Spirit, I am ready to be used if, if he leads you through a call to another place, to another people, to a specific person? Would you be willing to tell the Holy Spirit you're ready to be used if he leads you by tossing you a softball? I believe with every part of me that God's desire is to use a lot of you to a much greater degree than you're being used right now. Some of you have never considered it. Some of you just don't believe it. But it comes down to this. You'd be used more if you were willing to be used more. May we be willing to be used more. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the enthusiasm of these folks sitting here before me. I thank you that their excitement for Christ is, I can feel it, and it's fun. Lord, I thank you that in following Christ, we, we can have a great time. Lord, it's not this doldrums. It's not climbing upstairs on our knees. It's not this terrible thing. But instead, Father, knowing you and following you is something that we can be overwhelmed with joy about. Now, God, I pray for each person sitting here this morning that, that they would become willing to follow you, that they would be willing to be used by you each and every day. And, and Lord, it's, it's, not a, it's not a magic mantra, but Father, I pray that even in those moments when they wake up in the morning and they, they come to you in their morning prayer, Father, I ask that in those moments they would tell you that they're ready and willing to be used today. God, I pray the Spirit would work in our hearts and direct us and guide us. God, I ask, I beg that someone in this place today would be used in a mighty way this week to see someone come to know Jesus Christ. And then may we celebrate that well next week. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.